Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Eric Sammons. Eric is editor-in-chief of Crisis Magazine, the author of nine books, including Holiness for Everyone and Deadly Indifference. He's uh, contributed over 150 articles to numerous websites, and uh, Eric spends most of his time taking care of the seven children with his wife in Ohio. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on, Deacon. I uh, really appreciate all the stuff. I, I, I follow you on, on social media, and it was funny. I, I actually laughed when you posted something the other day about uh, um, the scapular, because I did the same thing uh, on January 1 after all the years of you know hearing about it and just never clicking in my brain. I ended up uh, getting, you know, getting the scapular blessed and, and having it you know, a ceremony at the church. So that was, I laughed when I saw your post. Yeah, it is funny. I, and I was a little bit embarrassed about it. Uh, my wife had gotten enrolled in the scapular a while back and she, she, you know, as good wives do, she encouraged me to do as well. And I wasn't ever against it. In fact, I know I put one on when I first became Catholic 30 years ago, this first year or two or so I would wear one, but I didn't, first of all, I didn't know like the whole like enrollment in it and the blessing and all that stuff. Yeah, I was a new Catholic. What what did I know? And so, but then I just stopped. And so finally, I, I learned more about it. And so I just this 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 past week, I finally uh, got enrolled in the scapular, started wearing it. And so um, that was uh, that was a great thing. And, and it's funny because I went on my first run a couple of days later, and I was like, okay, is this going to bother me at all? But it didn't. It was all good. So. Well, I would think in a run, if that's the thing that bothers you most, then your run's going to be going pretty good. Yeah, that, well, that's a good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> so you, you've come out with a new book uh, through Sophia Institute Press. Uh, Who do you say that I am? Unlocking the 24 titles given to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, great book. You know, I've gone through it. Oh, kind of what was your light bulb moment to think, you know what, I need to write about this because people need to be able to focus on on Jesus and the different names he's called and, and, and those type of things. Well, it's interesting because in my job involves a at crisis involves a lot of involvement in the crisis in the church and in the world. I eat a lot of bad news and I've seen people sadly, and I've struggled with this myself at times that sometimes that becomes overwhelming and you get to the point where you just can't handle bad news in the church anymore, scandals, uh, heresies, whatever the case may be. And I know spiritual directors have told me, and the saints tell us this, that really we have to be rooted in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sacred scriptures. That's kind of our baseline we need to, to really be able to navigate our way through the crisis going on in the world and in the church. And so for me, it's always been very important to me. I have to, I have to read the sacred scriptures every single day and meditate upon them. And then I, I don't, I think it was, I, you know, I, I wish I knew the answer to the question of what made me think of exactly why I thought the 24 titles. I know I was reading some church father mm -hmm. and he was talking about 
the, the titles given to Jesus. And that was a light bulb moment. What bothers me is I can't remember which church father it was. <laughs> and so, but one of them said that, and I thought, you know, that would be a good thing. And Matthew's always been my favorite gospel, although John's starting to make, creeping up and reading John more recently. And so he's starting to creep up into maybe he's, he's given Matthew a run for his money in my own uh, ranking, so to speak. But I've always loved Matthew, uh, first and foremost. And I, I noticed that there was, so I started looking like, oh, what are the titles given to Jesus in just Matthew? And I thought, wow, there's a lot of them. And they really are a diverse uh, collection that really say different things about Jesus. And not only about Jesus, but about our perception of him. But this would be a great thing to to really write about and, and to help people to know Jesus. Cause that's really the purpose of the book is get to know him better, because really what's more important than that. Uh, through this little study, just to be like, OK. I, I'm, what I'm hoping is somebody, when they finish the book, they say, I know Jesus better than I did when I started. If they can do that, then it's a success. Well, and I can't agree with you more, right? I mean, the, the world is ridiculous. And, you know, you have, you know, whether it's Cardinal McElroy or people putting out stuff and you're just like, what the heck? Uh, if you're not rooted in scripture, then you don't really have that barometer to see what is true and what is false. You know, what people are spewing either verbally or in writing or on social media, um, we really need to be rooted in the scripture and all of scripture, right? Old and New Testament. We have too many people who, you know, well, I'm a New Testament Catholic or I'm this. If it, it, You got to see the whole picture, not just the ones that, uh, you know, help define your argument or you think define your argument. That's right. And I feel like when we read the sacred scriptures as Catholics, it's almost like there's concentric circles. Every single word in the sacred scriptures are important and they're inspired by God. They matter. But I would say there's a certain hierarchy, like concentric circles in the middle is the gospels. That's where we, we directly uh, learn about Jesus. Then you have the new Testament then you have the old Testament, all of it's important. And in fact, all of every aspect of it helps you to understand other aspects. And so for example, although this, this uh, the, the book is focused on the Gospel of Matthew. I pull in other aspects of the, uh, particularly the Old Testament, because we see these different types for Christ. When, when, for example, when Jesus called Son of Abraham or Son of David, well, we need to know who Abraham and David are if we want to understand right. what that means when he's called Son of David or something like that. And in fact, at the titles given to Jesus, most of them, I mean, not most of them, but many of them are definitely. Uh, Old Testament con- have Old Testament connotations. I mean, just for example, he's called Elijah. He's called Jeremiah. He's called King of Israel. Like I already said, son of Abraham, son of David. I mean, all these things have connections to the Old Testament because that's something we we learn about the Gospel of Saint Matthew is that Matthew is writing primarily to Jewish converts, people who had become Christian in the first century. They were Jew- Jews or people that were thinking about Christianity from the Jewish background. So he really wanted to tie in that, that Jesus is that promised Messiah you read about in the Old Testament. Here he is. And so he has so many allusions to the Old Testament. So yes, understanding the whole Bible, really, it, it, it's a whole, you can't separate it. You might have a little bit of a hierarchy in your mind, but really it's all connected together. Well, I like the way you, you know, you start off with part one, the first several chapters are kind of incomplete perceptions of who Jesus is, whether it's man, rabbi, ghost, carpenter's son, right? Not that those are wrong, but that's just such a sliver of who he is, right? And and through your book, I think it really helps you want to find out 
the whole Jesus, who he is, and it doesn't matter what you call him, but his message doesn't change just because we wanted it to. That's right. And and if you think about it, Jesus, even from a secular standpoint, a non-religious standpoint, Jesus is the most influential figure who's ever lived. And that means a lot of everybody has an opinion of who Jesus is. And ultimately, those opinions don't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. What really matters is what does God tell us about who Jesus is in, in the sacred scriptures? And also, though, what we see, though, in the Gospels, for example, we see the, the Gospel writers, particularly Matthew, but all of them, are great at, at showing how people around Jesus understood him or misunderstood him, because we're still doing the same thing today. I mean, one thing is, of course, the, one of the most important ways is that, in fact, my first chapter is the title, Man. Jesus was a man. He was a man just like you and me. But, of course, he's more than a man. But people today often think of him still just as a man, just as somebody who he, he wasn't also divine. And so I think it, we can really learn something when we look at these incomplete perceptions, as I put it. These are people who saw Jesus as something maybe different, maybe the same. You know, they, they call him, for example— uh, you know, a, a rabbi. Well, he's far more than just a rabbi. Uh, carpenter's son. Yes, he was a carpenter's son, but that's said in such a way like, well, he can't really be that knowledgeable about the ways of God if he's just a carpenter's son. But of course, we know in reading it, we're like, okay, yes, he is a carpenter's son. That's very true. But oh my goodness, he's so much more than that because he's also divine. Well, if we really look at our own lives as well, right? We could be, you know, husband, father, brother, son, right? You could you could pick a particular title for any one of us and say that and, and view it from that narrow point of view. But even even we as as the creations, right, are much more than just one of those titles. That's right. And it, it's something actually, you know, I don't know why I just thought of this, but I think it's something we do need to remember particularly when we're on the internet, on social media, because what we do is when we interact with people who are these faceless, bodiless accounts, basically, they're just accounts on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, we're only seeing one little aspect of that person. We're not seeing the full picture. We don't know what their hopes and dreams are, what they're, su- what they're suffering through. And, and so we, we end up often judging them very harshly based upon a, a very small amount of data about them. And I think, therefore, we can also do that with Jesus. We only hear one thing. We only read, it's like, here's a great example. People love to talk about how Jesus isn't judgmental. You know, he said, judge not, lest you be judged. And so, but when you take just that aspect and you don't look at anything else about him, you don't realize he actually many times assumed we're going to judge actions of other people, that we have to judge them in order to really know whether or not they're right or wrong. And so there's a great example of where we take a little bit of information about somebody, about Jesus, uh, saying judge not, and then we exacerbate it. Now we have a actual wrong impression of him. I mean, one of the, the, my chapters is titled Ghost, because at one point the apostle thinks, thinks he's a ghost because he's walking across the water to him at night. Well, mm-hmm. obviously, the, you know, the idea of a ghost walking on water through the night, I guess that'd be the only thing that in normal experience you would think would be possible. But but we know, of course, he's not a ghost. That's exactly not what he is. So even the wrong impressions of him, I think, can can teach us something, can be a warning to us, like, hey, don't fall into these incomplete, these these inadequate impressions of who Jesus really is. He's so much more. And anything, in fact, I would just say any 
any title given to him, any words we use to him are always incomplete. Even the greatest title, something like Son of God or Jesus, even that's incomplete in a sense because he's God and he's far beyond any, any, any words we can use. Well, that's why we hear I am, right? Because it's just mm-hmm. for, for us to kind of put him in a box, which you know we like to do, as you mentioned, with everybody, and then just paint and say, okay, this is who you are. Uh, we will never comprehend that in our lifetime. So to try to do it is foolish, but to grow in that relationship, to to see as much as we can see through our you know our human intellect, that's really what we're called to do. Because if we want to be with him for all eternity, if we don't want to spend the time getting to know him, then you know not going to be too good at the end. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, really, ultimately, Pope Benedict talked about this a number of times that the whole Catholic life, the whole Christian life revolves around this relationship with Jesus. Now, when we use the term relationship with Jesus, we might sound a little Protestant, like we're talking about personal relationship with Jesus. And that's usually the Protestant understanding that is inadequate. But we really do have this, we, we, we should cultivate a deep and intimate knowledge and relationship with Jesus, that we are close to him. We, un, we know him, at least at some level. Obviously, we'll never know everything about him, but we really need to know him and know who he is. It's just like I, you, know, I, you give the analogy often that when you're dating somebody and you're real excited about your, 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 this other person, what do you do? You want to learn every single thing about them. You want to know everything they think, everything they've ever done. I mean, you're just fascinated by them because why? Because you, you're growing in love for them. And the more you love somebody, the more you want to know about them. Well, obviously that's very true of Jesus Christ, that the more we, we love him, grow in love of him, the more we want to know about him. So that's why Catholics, I mean, I'm convinced Catholics should be spending every single day, uh, in, at least with some reading of the sacred scriptures. And the great thing about the Bible is, is, as you alluded to earlier, is every page is about Jesus Christ. I mean, the Gospels are obviously the, the main one. That's what I focus on, the Gospel of Matthew in my book. But we learn about Jesus in the Old Testament, in the letters of St. Paul, obviously, in the Gospels. And so I just think that this is the path forward in our crazy world for Catholics, that even with the craziness around us, the path forward is to, to really learn more about Jesus Christ, because what that does is it starts to it adjusts your eyes, so to speak. You see things differently. You don't see things. You see things more in from a divine perspective, the more you see how Jesus sees. And so I think that's that's why we need to learn these things, because so often you hear people, including sometimes some Catholic priests and leaders who will say things about about something Jesus wants. You're like, no, that's not all in the Gospels. That's not Jesus Christ. If you read the Gospels, you see that's not who he is. So I think that's what we as Catholics need to do is really learn more and more about him every day. Well, and I think, you know, looking at this book, it, it helps you realize that we have to go deeper, right? There's there's a depth there. And we we spend so much time of our life just on, on surface level stuff. And and the church has done, you know, by and large, a poor job of, of trying to water down Jesus so that people will like him. And it's exactly the opposite. When you water him down, nobody cares. It's that depth and that truth about Jesus that will attract people, not not the not conversely watering them down, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is, we have this caricature, this stereotype of Jesus in our culture. He's just this nice guy who would never say a mean thing in his life, and he only wants he, he only wants you to do what you want to do. He doesn't want to uh, keep you from what your dreams, what you want. 
Well, that ain't Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Gospels, at least, because you read the Gospels. One of the best books on um, on the, to know Christ Jesus by Frank Sheed. Uh, real, and in fact, I, I, I consider myself kind of trying to emulate him on some level because he was the master in, in this book, I feel, in that he really goes through and shows that Jesus was not the person we think he was. I mean, he said some things that were very harsh at times, particularly to religious leaders who were not doing what God wanted them to do. I mean, really harsh. And he was very abrupt with people. He was very sparing in praise. He, he didn't go around complimenting everybody. In fact, when he compliments somebody, you knew it was a big deal. And so it, this image we have of like, it's almost like a 1960s hippie or something, is not Jesus. And so the more we know about him, the more we, the real Jesus, the more we see, okay, maybe we're not doing things in our modern world the way we should be doing them. And, and so like, for example, sometimes people say you shouldn't criticize uh, our religious leaders ever. I'm like, well, Jesus sure did. And he didn't have a problem with it. Now, obviously we have to do it in charity as he did. We had to do it in, in clarity as he did. And we always have to make sure we're, we're following the Jesus when he, when he does it. I mean, you mentioned like uh, Cardinal McElroy, when he said that, um, you know, just some awful stuff recently, we are, we are following the footsteps of Jesus when we call him out on that. And I was very happy. Was it your Bishop who actually called him out on it? I yeah, think it, was. Yeah, it was the Archbishop Aquila. Yeah. Yeah. So God bless him. He was following the footsteps of Jesus when he did that. He was absolutely uh, being an apostle of Jesus Christ when, when he called him out. And because if you think Jesus only said nice things, please go read the gospels again and again, and you'll see that's just not the case. Well, we can look at our own lives, right? I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's probably not as much the case today, but, you know, my dad held me accountable for things, you know, and when I got out of line, he made sure I got in line and I may not have appreciated it at the time, but now I look back and see really how much he loved and cared about me. If I'd have had a powder puff dad, who knows where I'd have turned out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's the thing is like, I've actually been, uh, you know, I finished this book a while ago, but I've been reading, so I've been reading the Gospel of Matthew. I just read the account of the woman caught in adultery, which is obviously a very famous one, but it's often misused and misinterpreted to make people think that Jesus doesn't care about sin. But of course, they miss the line at the end of it where he says, tells the one, go and sin no more. He's very direct. I mean, think about this woman was a public sinner. I mean, everybody knew what she was doing and he told her, no, go and sin no more. That was the merciful, charitable thing to do. And so likewise, a parent, if you see your kid falling uh, 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 to the to the side, not, not doing what they're supposed to be doing, the charitable best thing to do is to call them out on it and say, no, you have to go and sin no more. You have to stop doing this. You need to go to confession. That's what a true loving parent does because they're imitating Jesus who did the same thing. Well, you know, it's, it's something to remind us that we can just look at our everyday lives and, 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 and see traits that, you know, have helped us to get to where we are. We want that in a God as well. We don't want somebody who's just going to agree with us whenever we do anything. Um, you know, the other thing I really liked about your book is, you know, at the end of each chapter, you have some references and you give people an opportunity to reflect on some things. Now, they, they may find other things, but you get people started, kind of the juices flowing, or here are some things to think and reflect about. Yeah, I really pictured this book as something that could help people with a, what's called Lexio Divina, and that's just sacred, uh, divine reading, sacred reading. And it's a, a, a very traditional, been around forever way that, that 
Catholics can engage in mental prayer and reading of the Bible. Basically, what you do is you read a passage and you really contemplate it. And so what each chapter does, it takes one title, Jesus, and I just contemplate what that title means. And then at the end, I have some questions for reflection to just help kind of spur on. So my hope would be, for example, Lent's coming up. During Lent, you could read uh, one chapter a day where you spend time reading the chapter, contemplating that title, and then you at the end, when you're finished reading, you can then, I have references exactly where in the, in Matthew, the, the title to you. So you can look up each one if you want to, but also you can ask these questions, uh, to yourself and that can help you dive into what we reflected upon in that chapter. So it really is meant to be a practical guide because I know something like Lexio Divina is actually hard for people. And I, I, I think so too. Um, it's something people struggle with because, you don't know where to start because often you're just giving the advice. Okay, read a passage of scripture and then think about it. Well, I mean that that doesn't really help most of us. We need a guide. <laughs> we need some some help on saying, okay, let me look at this. Now, hopefully, over time, you do it long enough, you you don't need as many guides necessarily. You always need some. I mean, Saint Teresa of Avila, the one of the great mystics of the church, she talked about how she started her prayer always with spiritual reading. And she was like, you know, way beyond the rest of us as far as her knowledge and her, her intimacy with Christ. And so we all need that. So that's what I was hoping is this just gives a guide. It gives a, a kickstart to your own personal meditation on the person of Jesus Christ. Well, and I think the more we know him, and I think this book helps a lot with, you know, the more we know him, the more we know what he expects of us. Right. I mean, the deeper we go, the the deeper we can look at ourselves and, and, and see our flaws and try to fix those flaws. Because in the end, we want him to call us our, his good and faithful servant, not I don't know who you are, right? I mean, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, that I, I almost can't read that passage where he talks about saying, well done, good and faithful service, without getting a little bit emotional because just trying to picture that moment, what it would be like, just how beautiful it would be. And also on the flip side, like you said, how horrible how terrible it would be to hear the opposite i never knew you and the way you jesus knows you is you get to know him because as saint paul says it's not i live but christ lives in me well you can't have christ live in you if you don't know anything about him the only way that you conform yourself to his life and to him his example is to know what that life and example are and so really this is all about imitating jesus i mean saint paul talked about that a lot that's what we really want to do is imitate Jesus in everything. We can't imitate him if we don't know how he actually acted in these different situations. Well, and our, and our salvation depends upon it. That's why I think, you know, this and you know, there's a lot of tools and a lot of things out there. But all these things that help us grow in our love of sacred scripture, grow in our knowledge and our love for Jesus, help us to avoid some of those pitfalls that all of us encounter in our lives every day. And if we don't spend the time with him, then what are we spending our time doing? And let's be honest, people don't want to know Jesus because then there's an expectation, right? I have to change who I am. And that can be difficult, but the reward is greater than you can imagine, right? Yeah, I mean, I can read a book about, let's say, baseball, because I love baseball. I read a book about baseball. I, I, I get information from it. I'm a little bit more knowledgeable for it. Maybe I enjoy the game a little bit more. But my life hasn't changed. I'm not fundamentally a different person after reading it. 
when you read the Gospels, your life should change. It should be fundamentally different after reading the Gospels if you're really digging into it and really deeply going into it. And that's why, you know, this book, I'm, I'm trying to help people get through the Gospels and really dig into them so their life has changed. Because you're right, because the, the thing is, is that Jesus, he's set up as, this, as the model. He's set up as the, the way, the truth, and the life, of course. And so if we don't conform to him— then really there's no reason to read it. I mean, I, I know the, the, there's a lot of people call themselves theologians today. I do not call myself one, but a lot of people call themselves theologians. But really, I love the early church fathers when they said a theologian is one who prays and one who prays is a theologian. And so by that standard, hopefully we're all theologians because we pray. And really that, that kind of shows what a true theologian is. It's somebody who really prays, they understand, and so it changes their whole way of looking at the world and therefore it changes the whole way they live. Somebody who just has book knowledge, I mean, there's so many scripture scholars today who don't believe. And frankly, they're worthless because they don't, it, they don't understand the subject they are studying. It's like, it'd be like a doctor who's never seen a human body in his entire life. That's what a non-believing theologian is like. And so we really want to be those kind of lay, those, those just ordinary theologians who are praying over the gospels and letting it transform our life. Hopefully, hopefully when you read passages in the scripture, it, it, it tells you, okay, I probably need to change how I do things here. If you're always comfortable, or if you read a passage from the gospel and say, oh yeah, those other people, they're real bad at that. Well, hold on a second, cowboy. You need to be saying, how am I not doing that? So when Jesus condemns the religious leaders, my first thought shouldn't be, oh, I can condemn religious leaders. Yes, you can do that potentially, but instead, okay, how is this condemning me? Am I doing these things? That's to be the first step is, okay, I got to make sure I'm not doing these things. And then once I feel like I'm not doing them, yes, then I might be able to speak out and say, this religious leader should, shouldn't be saying this. I'm sure uh, Archbishop Aquila, was, that was his attitude, was like, okay, he probably was thinking, okay, am I doing these things? Okay, I'm trying not to, so I, I can call out my fellow uh, bishop on this. Well, and I think to your point, right, we always look inward first before we look outward because Otherwise, we're just kind of fooling ourselves, and then we don't have to address our own flaws, and we get to see the flaws of everybody else, and that does nobody any good. We're, we're down to about the last 30 seconds or so. How can people follow what you're doing, and where can people get the book, Eric? Well, you can get the book at Sophia Institute's website. That's just sophiainstitute.com. It's Who Do You Say I Am. You can search on that or search on my name. You'll find it on their website. Uh, also, you could also buy it directly from me at my website, ericsamus.com. And if you want to follow uh, what's going on at Crisis, it's crisismagazine.com. But I do appreciate all the good work you're doing. You guys have a lot of great articles. And, and there is a lot of bad stuff out there. But if we're not rooted in Scripture, then it's just going to kill us. And so I really appreciate you putting this together. And it would be a great Latin reflection. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.